Soth, co-founder and co-editor, and your host for today's episode. We're set to talk today about the use of petascale supercomputers for training deep learning algorithms. More specifically, we'll look at how this is happening in astronomy to enable real-time analysis of LIGO detector data. Here to talk about this is Daniel George. He is a researcher in the Gravity Group at the National Center for Supercomputing Applications, or NCSA. His team garnered a great deal of attention at the annual supercomputing conference in November with this work blending traditional HPC simulation data and deep learning. Those who aren't familiar with, with LIGO data, and I know that we have some, some scientific computing users who uh, have been hearing about this for a long time, but for those who aren't familiar, what is this? What's the scientific purpose? What kind of data is collected? Give us the 50-foot uh, the view here. So 100 years ago, Albert Einstein predicted with his general theory of relativity that when really dense objects like black holes and neutron stars, when they collide, they emit these ripples in the fabric of space and time. This is called a gravitational wave. We can actually observe these even billions of light years away with the detectors that we have called LIGO and Virgo. These can measure distances that are thousand times smaller than the width of a proton. So what these detectors measure are changes in the distance between two points in a detector. These are four kilometer long arms. And by observing these minute, minute fluctuations in space and time, we can actually sense these cosmic events happening billions of light years away. Okay, and so traditionally, how has this data been handled and analyzed and stored? What's, what's been the real environment for addressing LIGO data? So traditionally, the data is just a time series, uh, one-dimensional uh, vector that's been collected periodically at 16,000 hertz from these detectors. But since these gravitational wave signals are very weak, like 1,000 times smaller than a proton, it's actually buried in the noise. So the background noise from all kinds of environmental sources and qu quantum noise, it's all uh, much louder than the signal. So what LIGO used to do is this uh, template matching technique called match filtering, where they have uh, templates obtained from solving Einstein's equations for all kinds of systems on supercomputers like Blue Waters. So they simulate a variety of events, black holes, neutron stars with different masses. And then they build this a template bank, just a bunch of filters. And then they take this data that's coming from the LIGO detectors and then they compare it with every single template in this template bank. And that's a very computationally expensive process. And uh, you, have, you need millions of templates to actually cover all possible events. So there are uh, limitations in how many events you can target using existing methods. Mm -hmm. What was the right architecture, or the best architecture that uh, uh, that you've seen? to deal with this kind of data. I know you talked about Blue Waters, which is, uh, honestly, that machine is just a little bit older than, than some of the other supercomputers that we write about here on the next platform. Um, was that the right architecture or, or what, what, was, what was used? So the analysis of LIGO data is carried in like across many supercomputers across the world, and Blue Waters is one of them. And also to actually build these templates in the template bank, you need to solve Einstein's equations and that is really expensive. So you need like uh, thousands of cores and we use Blue Waters to actually carry out those simulations as well. So there are two sides. First, creating the simulations to create the template bank and also doing the analysis of the data that's streaming from the LIGO detectors using this um, template matching technique. So Blue Waters is actually being used for both. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. And and so uh, just to clarify too, I know when a lot of folks were excited about this story at, at Supercomputing, it, it definitely caught our eye. And the story then was sort of presented that it was Blue Waters that was doing some of the AI workload. But it sounds like Blue Waters was actually the source of the simulation data. Uh, is that right? And talk to me about what the workflow is for this kind of complexity, taking it from HPC sim, uh, simulation to a fully realized uh, deep learning training workflow. Yes. So we carry out simulations of black holes with different masses and eccentricities. We uh, carry these out on the Blue Water supercomputer. And there are also these catalogs of simulations that have been carried out in the past. So we use all this data and then there are analytical models that are fit to match these simulations so that we can actually generate more templates between the parameters of the simulations that were used. So by combining the semi-analytic models with these numerical relativity simulations, we can actually generate a lot of gravitational waveform templates. And these templates are then used to train a deep learning algorithm to detect signals in very noisy data sets. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the framework for, for training them that you used? So we actually used uh, convolution neural networks and the library that was used is called MXNet. So we use the MXNet backend and it's linked to the uh, Wolfram language programming uh, language. It's called uh, Mathematica previously. So it, it's a wrapper on top of MXNet and MXNet is a deep learning library uh, supported by Amazon. Mm-hmm. Okay. Were, were you using AWS resources for any of this? No, for mm-hmm. this project, we used uh, resources at NCSA uh, we have a lot of P100 GPUs that NVIDIA donated for this project. And we also use the DGX1 uh, machine that's dedicated for deep learning workloads that we have at LIGO, the LIGO Hanford lab. Okay. Uh, we'll get to the hardware conversation in just a minute. I'm interested to hear that there is a Mathematica hook here. I know that uh, from your bio, you you do some work uh, at Wolfram, right? You're a part-time machine machine learning expert there. Um, I'm sure that fed into some of this work or vice versa. But talk about the software workflow here, the uh, meshing that with the um, with MXNet, which is obviously used to handle all kinds of different deep learning workflows, right? Yes. Uh, so I've been using Mathematica for a long time now, and I'm closely involved with the uh, Wolfram Research Company, which develops Mathematica. And I'm working there as a part-time intern and we are developing machine learning uh, frameworks. And recently, in version 11 of Mathematica, they added a neural network link to MXNet. And it's like, it's a high-level framework that's on top of MXNet. So you can think of it as like Keras, which uses TensorFlow as a backend. And Mathematica now uses MXNet as a backend. And it's a very flexible and highly abstracted framework. So that was why I chose to use that uh, for this project. Mm-hmm. Do you know of a lot of other projects that are incorporating that? That's that's the first time I've actually heard of this. So, so MXNet is very popular. It's being used uh, across like all disciplines and a lot of publications. Yes. But the Wolfram language link mm-hmm. to MXNet is new, and I'm mm-hmm. as I think that I'm I was like the first person to actually use it for a research project. But now mm-hmm. it's gaining a lot of popularity. Yeah, uh, that's interesting. Um, by the way, moving in back to the uh, the hardware conversation we were having, so um, you obviously have access to the P100 GPUs at your center there at, at NCSA. 
Uh, of course, those are the generation just before the one that's been announced that no one has yet in their hands, the Volta GPUs. Uh, but I, I'm very curious about how your problem scaled and performed uh, on the DGX1, which is obviously a, a much more tightly coupled NVLink uh, connected uh, set of P100s, right? Uh, talk to us about the use of that. So yeah, so we had around uh, eight GPUs in the DGX1 and four GPUs, the P100 GPUs at NCSA. And these were the Pascal architecture. And we actually used all these GPUs to do like the hyperparameter optimization. So you actually need to design a neural network for this particular problem. And there are a lot of free parameters that you have to like determine by hand. So we actually did like a, a search, a random search over a lot of these different network art architectures and then we tested which one performed the best for this task. So that's why we used all these GPUs in parallel to try out like hundreds of different convolutional neural networks. Mm -hmm. That sounds very time consuming. <laughs> yeah, it, it actually took us a couple of weeks to actually do this uh, search. But once you determine the best network, then it's like a couple of days of training on mm -hmm. the P100 GPUs. And we also have a Volta DGX1 that LIGO got recently. And that's oh. like a bit faster so you can it's a bit faster <laughs> because I, I don't think yeah. that our network is optimized to actually use all the tensor cores yet so okay. the framework is not actually optimized when i tried it last time but i think that if you actually use the tensor cores in the volt architecture we can get like a much like more than two to four times speed up mm -hmm. not to put you too much on the spot here but um, how what what's the complexity level of optimizing for the tensor core for a complex workload to begin with, which is what you have here? I mean, it's not you're not just doing kind of a straightforward um, cafe image recognition thing that's pretty well established. This is a very custom thing. So, I mean, do you think the optimization process for this is going to be a little bit of a challenge, or what do you see going ahead as as uh, as you move to Volta? So what we used is a one-dimensional convolutional neural network. So it's slightly different from what people use for image recognition, which is 2D CNN. Uh, but in our case, like MXNet actually supports convolution layers and to use tensor cores now. So if we just incorporate the latest version of MXNet, and I think we should be able to easily uh, utilize all the tensor cores efficiently. Mm -hmm. Just a matter of like updating the framework and linking it to Mathematica. Right, right. Um, let's talk generally, too, about this mesh between traditional HPC simulations and deep learning. It seems like uh, this is really the, the hot story now, and it, it certainly was at, at supercomputing this year. A lot of people were talking about what relative few workloads there were that, that had a nice natural fit with one another. And, and I guess the common theme was like, you know, cleaning up noisy data. Uh, from from HPC simulations or for them, um, using as pre or post processing versus as kind of the core part of the workload. Uh, the, help us understand at least from the standpoint of astronomy where deep learning might fit for other areas and, and other workloads that you've seen. Okay, so in our case, we are analyzing time series data sets, and uh, but deep learning can have like a lot of more applications and fields like image processing for like telescope data. So this is something that we are going to tackle next, where you have a lot of data from telescopes, like uh, the upcoming LSST telescope would collect like petabytes of data. And that's like a hot uh, 
research area where you need deep learning algorithms to actually handle all this data because a human cannot actually go through it by hand. Um, and other areas that we saw recently was uh, like uh, for finding strong lensing. So there was a nature paper where deep convolution networks were applied to find these strong lensing events and uh, images from telescopes. Um, so yeah, so there is a lot of scope for applying deep learning in general in astrophysics. But I think in our case, like combining these numerical relativity simulations from uh, solving Einstein's equations on supercomputers like Blue Waters with the data analysis is something like that is new. It's like a new paradigm for doing uh, physics research where you have deep learning models learned from physics simulations. And then it actually builds models of the underlying uh, process. And, and that's that's what's really exciting. So to think about just a few years ago, um, the consensus in HPC was, anyway, when, when this was all new, was this is great and interesting. It'll be fantastic for, again, filtering out noise or learning from images. But, but a deep learning algorithm will never be good at uh, replicating physics. So you know, how close are we to, to seeing that happen? Because that, that would really upend the way we build supercomputers. <laughs> we would build them for a slightly different purpose, right? So, I mean, projecting outwards, you know, what is the interplay between um, deep learning and actual physics and, and getting all of that accurate and reproducible and, and all that good stuff? So what we found is that even though we trained with like a, a data set which was like sparsely sampled over all possible parameters, the neural network was able to interpolate to points between the simulations that it saw. So it's like actually building a model and it, even though we never showed it a system, for example, having 20 and 30 solar masses, black holes, it was still able to actually predict these parameters. So a deep learning model is able to interpolate between situations that it has seen and also generalize a bit to new kinds of events. So we never actually included spin processing uh, black hole systems in our training data, but it was able to still detect it. So uh, as opposed to like template matching techniques where you need like an exact match, a deep learning model is able to actually learn the underlying model and make predictions that it has in situations which it has not exactly encountered before. Mm -hmm. And that that's starting to sound a little bit more like it has, like it has more in common with GANs than it does like a an MXNet sort of way of deep learning, and for those who aren't who aren't uh, following this, GANs are generative adversarial networks that kind of fight until they come up with the, the best answer. Is that something you're exploring for this? Yes, we are actually exploring uh, having generative models. So instead of actually doing like a million simulations, which is going to be infeasible or because each of them take like two weeks on Blue Waters. So instead of actually doing all these simulations, we want to build a model that learns from a few simulations, and then it actually can, given the other, given new parameters, it can actually predict and generate the output of the simulation without actually going through the whole, uh, without actually solving all these equations on supercomputers. So you can actually combine these HPC simulations with generative models to actually build a very fast uh, algorithm for generating simulations or gravitational waves. Mm -hmm. How how reliable is it? I mean, um, I'm sure you guys have done some some tests to make sure that you know all your results are are validated and all that. But um, you know, is it is it something you really had to work hard to tune uh, to be able to validate, or how do you look at that problem? 
so we actually have like training and testing sets and we only show the model the training set and then we test whether it actually is outputting something reasonable on the test set elements that it has never seen so you can actually measure empirically like what is the confidence that you have on this model and like figuring out the best architecture is like a hard task where these days it's mostly trial and error you can look at previous models in like computer science literature and use that as a hint to start off with and then modify it randomly and just try like hundreds of models and pick the best one but i think in the future there'll be like when there's a better understanding of deep learning and how these models work like right now it's all a mystery it's mostly like black magic but in the future i think we'll be able to actually mm -hmm. figure out the architecture for each particular problem mm -hmm. black magic black box yeah <laughs> similar like, thing yeah mm -hmm. we just did it by trial and error and we just chose the network that did best but mm -hmm. that works well right uh, so so project out a little bit you're a you're a relatively young researcher in HPC so you you don't kind of come with all the baggage when it comes to you know an HPC simulation must do this and this I mean you've got maybe a little bit more of an open-ended way of looking at how we build infrastructure and how we build software for the next generation of HPC applications which by the way have to be more efficient than ever and it seems like there should be a role that um, the deep learning plays in this by shaving off some time possibly or doing things maybe more efficiently i mean talk to me about what you see on the horizon what you'd like to see as your career develops so one of the projects we're working on is actually scaling the deep learning to like supercomputers like blue waters for example where you have like thousands of gpus and millions of cpus so you actually want to uh build deep learning algorithms can that can efficiently use all of these resources at once to actually finish training on a large training set very quickly because if you actually want to cover all possible gravitational wave events for example or like something that there's like millions of images from for example galaxies and stars from uh, lsst for example you actually need to do the training in a reasonable amount of time and that means you need like thousands of gpus and cpus so one of the projects that is really hard right now is scaling the training to these systems where you actually need to have like very good communication between gpus cpus across multiple nodes to do deep learning efficiently even the deep learning algorithms are not that efficient at scaling across machines so most people actually use like a few gpus these days like up to four gpus to train uh, on large data sets right um so the next well the nice yeah go ahead, go ahead. so the next generation of uh, supercomputers would I I think it would be good to have these accelerators like GPUs on each node so that you can actually do deep learning or and this is getting more important these days because when these supercomputers were built deep learning was at, not at all uh, an important field Right. Um, that's why it's kind of serendipity uh, that that a machine likes like the Summit supercomputer, which honestly, I, I don't really think they planned it <laughs> to make it such an ideal uh, system for deep learning. But I mean, really, that's that's kind of as good as it gets. Right. You've got the NVLink and you've got Volta GPUs and a powerful host CPU. Um, you know, that's that's all there. But like you were just mentioning, I just want to touch on this for a second. Um, you know, 
multi-GPU scaling for deep learning, and we've written about this before and, and given it some thought, um, this is where HPC has actually been useful <laughs> to the deep learning community because of uh, uh, work um, based on MPI to to get these problems to scale in a way that they couldn't without it, for instance. Um, on the DGX1, obviously, you would have had the software stack there for you, but you know, what is the software complexity for getting this stuff to scale uh, across GPUs? So we are still at an early stage of this project. So we are, we are using TensorFlow to do this, and there are libraries or there are repositories where people have actually had code that scales, but it's not that efficient at scaling to like say few hundred GPUs. So it's still at early stage uh, to comment on this right now. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm sure you watch what happens outside of HPC too. You look at, at what um, Baidu and, and some of the other hyperscale companies uh, do to get their problems to scale, yes? Yes, I've actually found a few papers. Uh, there's one by uh, uh, Facebook and another by NVIDIA where they actually scale training on ImageNet to like 256 GPUs and 1000 mm -hmm. GPUs. So it's possible. Uh, it's just not easy when you have like different architectures and there's no library that makes the scaling to these large supercomputers easy for a researcher. That's right. Well, luckily you have tons of student help to, to do all this um, over time and for free, right? <laughs> yes, at NCSA we have a very big group now. Everybody's excited to join both LIGO and the deep learning uh, aspects of it. So we have like a large deep learning group within NCSA who's like, we're working on solving these problems now. And there's like four or five students who are interested in scaling on Blue Waters and and the upcoming supercomputers as well. Mm -hmm. uh, whatever that upcoming supercomputer is, I would love to know when it's finally announced. Blue Waters is is getting a little long in the tooth. It's uh, It's been around for a while. I think it's got, like I said before, K20s on it. Um, I think to do a lot of this work, you're going to need more powerful GPUs. Yes. Yes, the K20s on Blue Waters are really old and slow compared to the mm -hmm. P100s. So yeah. That's right. But that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> no judgment on Blue Waters. It was a great system when it was new, for sure. Um, all right, well, Daniel George, thank you so much for your time. And we look forward to hearing more about the work that you do there uh, at NCSA and, and your team, too, as you explore some of these different problems. So thanks so much for taking time today. Yeah, thank you for organizing this uh, podcast. Really happy Absolutely. to be Absolutely. All right, then. And Thanks, everybody, for listening. Have a great day. We'll be back tomorrow. Bye-bye.